Why should we care about church denominations? Well, maybe you don't care about church denominations, and whether you do or not, I want to welcome you to the show, and I'm glad you're here, because I think it's a very important issue for us to consider as Bible readers, as Christians, and to help convince you of this, I've brought alongside me a really good friend to do just that. Welcome to episode number 74 of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. All right, I am pleased to be joined with Stephen Spinnenweber, the one and only. You probably don't know anybody else with that last name. It is very fancy. And uh, we're glad to have him back with us on the show because last time, which was like ages ago, uh, we had a really good conversation together about preaching through the Old Testament and kind of how people can interact with the Old Testament in modern day. So uh, first and foremost, Stephen, welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you with us yet again. Thanks, brother. It's good to, good to be back. And our conversation today is uh, quite interesting. The question is, do denominations matter anymore? And uh, maybe you find yourself with all kinds of free time pondering questions you never have before because you can't do anything else. And this is as good a question as any because when we are in the melting pot country of the United States of America, Sometimes we really don't take enough time to spend thinking about issues like denominations and things of that nature. So, Stephen, to help us kind of sort through this issue, I want to first pose the million-dollar question to this whole conversation, and that is, why should we care about choosing a church denomination? Yeah, it's an excellent question, and uh, I think that behind that question, you know, I would answer simply. Um, that we should choose denominations because we care about the truth. Uh, we care about the truth. Now, there are no perfect churches, and uh, nor is there a perfect denomination, and yet every Christian ought to be endeavoring after a higher and higher pursuit of the truth. And so denominations will represent that truth, and there's a spectrum of uh, uh, you know, churches that are more or less in accordance with the truth of Scripture, and so therefore it makes sense that we should as we endeavor to know the truth more deeply, put ourselves in context and around people that will join us in that lifelong journey. Um, at this point, I really love Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, when it talks about the church, talking the church Catholic and universal, uh, you know, it's this collection of particular churches. Um, it says that there are some that are more or less pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances are administered and public worship performed more or less purely in them. So we should be striving for purity of doctrine. And as I said, you know, no two denominations are alike. So as we're pursuing truth, it just seems natural that that's kind of an outworking of that greater pursuit. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good word. Um, I, I want to have a little bit of interaction with you in between each question, but I think it'd be great to uh, pose this next question because certainly when when people think about the way denominations function or at least the way they look like they function in uh, the main context we're in, which is America, although I do have listeners from other countries, so we'll see how much this applies to you all as well. 
Um, yeah, yeah. So um, here, here's a good follow-up question. And it's really is one that I've thought about a lot. And it's how, how do denominations kind of blur the lines today compared to their origins? I, I think back of um, think when I've originally thought about denominations growing up in the church, I grew up in a Baptist church, kind of a traditional Southern Baptist church. And even in my own little realm of uh, Southeast Georgia, there's a ton, I mean, dozens and dozens of Baptist churches. And yet even those Baptist churches would have widely different views. And even some belong to totally different denominations, even though their church might say Baptist. So maybe kind of speak to this uh, in some ways of uh, kind of how you see them blurring the lines today. You know, I think a lot of that comes back to, as I understand it, a desire for greater effectiveness. And so a lot of the reasons why I think you see differences is a difference in how do you execute on the Great Commission? So for some churches, they believe that it is being faithful to the preaching of the word, um, right worship, uh, everything according to scripture, which admittedly will probably yield you fewer numerical results uh, than you know some of the more second grade awakening type evangelistic efforts to go out there and, and to get converts. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I think we need to be mindful of is that even in our own Presbyterian tradition, right, we're Reformed, but how many different Reformed Presbyterian denominations are there? Um, and we can come back to what kind of has led to differences and even various denominations within broader theological traditions like our own. But I think that at the heart of it is often this desire for effectiveness. And I want to say it's utilitarian or only pragmatics. Um, but yeah, even within Baptists, you'll have, and again, the PCA is a fairly broad tent, uh, the denomination of which uh, you and I are a part. But when I think of Baptists, I mean, they, there's Calvinistic Baptists and there's Arminian Baptists. Um, there's no Arminian Presbyterians even, you know, so that, that's kind of amazing to me how they can still exist under that one broader umbrella. Um, and yet at the heart of it, I do think is a desire for effectiveness and trying to go about that different ways. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that denominations, while a lot of them can be quite broad in the way they would tackle a whole, whole host of different doctrines and things like that they can still be overly simplified or just generalized where you think of like a Baptist church, for example, what does the title communicate? Well, it, really it communicates what they believe about the sacrament of baptism, or at least that's the idea that's trying to be uh, pushed with the name Baptist. Like what is unique about you? Well, it's the way we view baptism or like Presbyterians, for example, that speaks to our view of church government. And you can go however more particular from that point, but just broadly speaking, it's interesting to me what churches, in, in terms of denominations, what they have really stuck to as that kind of reference point. Or Pentecostals, yet another example. What does that say? Well, it says what they think about the charismatic gifts. So it's really fascinating to me that in some ways, perhaps if we go back far enough in church history, you could kind of know if somebody said, I'm a Baptist, you knew that full encompassing definition. When they say Baptist, here's all the things that they mean. 
or likewise for Presbyterians and especially for like Roman Catholics, right? But when we think about them today, uh, the way I see it, they've really morphed into, it's not that it defines everything about you. It's that now it only defines one thing about you. So it's this interesting kind of uh, trajectory that's gone totally different from probably how it originally was. That's super insightful. And I was talking with a buddy recently who was probably quoting someone else. So, you know, three degrees of separation here. <laughs> uh, there's nothing new under the sun. But he was talking about how when you talk with the Roman Catholic, uh, generally the first place that they'll go is ecclesiology. Are you a part of the Catholic, you know, capital C, Catholic Church? If you talk to, say, maybe a Lutheran, you know, uh, they'll talk about the cross. They'll talk about justification, sort of these hallmark, these, these crowning doctrines or preoccupations of every uh, system. For us, we'll talk about divine sovereignty because we're reformed. And so it is really interesting, even beyond just the pragmatics of how do we become more effective, which is you know, sort of the old school, new school Presbyterian and old side, new side Presbyterian, which is what I was referring to before. Right. Theologically, there are different ways we come at this. I've been reading Herman Bovink lately, and he talks about the difference between Reformed dogmatics and Lutheran dogmatics. And Lutheran dogmatics start with an anthropological starting point. Who am I and what must I do to be saved? The Calvinist and Reformed dogmatics, they start off with who is God? So you can see how traditions could develop very differently from that. So I, you know, We'll come to it later, but I actually represent a couple of different traditions that you even referred to lately. So, um, yeah. yeah, it is interesting where we start from, the question that we begin with, and then where all of our denominations kind of end up thereafter. Yeah, great, great point there. Uh, listeners who have kind of been alongside me for multiple episodes now, probably somewhere along the lines, heard my my own story of how I started in a uh, Southern Baptist Church, conservative Southern Baptist Church, and you know, fast forward years later, now I'm in a Reformed denomination, the PCA, and I've talked about how my own uh, kind of journey has gone from here to there, and all the in betweens, and kind of why I've I've landed where I have. Uh, but it might be interesting for you, who is you're a seminary graduate, you are a pastor of a church, and you know, how did you decide to even pursue the kind of church you're in now? How did that whole process happen? I mean, what what is your own journey in terms of how you've interacted with denominations? Yeah, so I grew up in a church home, uh, mother and father, devout, uh, God-honoring Christians. And I grew up for the first 13 years in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And the way that I kind of explain the spectrum of Lutheranism is the same way, it's roughly equivalent to the spectrum of Presbyterianism. There is Wisconsin Synod, which is very akin to like OPC, very, you know, hardline Lutheran. There's the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is more broad. There are conservatives and there are more progressive types within that denomination, roughly equivalent to the PCA. And then you have ELCA, which is akin to the PCUSA. Uh, with Presbyterians. So by God's grace, I grew up in a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, LCMS, and I actually got a hold of Luther's catechism fairly early on. But before I could get confirmed in the Lutheran church, my family uh, went to a very good Southern Baptist church. Uh, there, I would say I was saved before that, 
but I, I always say I didn't feel the joy of my salvation until I came into a Baptist church, felt a call to ministry there. And then I met my wife, the wife-to-be, when she was 16 and I was 17, and I felt a call to ministry around age 15. And I loved the evangelistic zeal of the Baptist tradition. I loved their care for the saints. Uh, they'll know we're Christians by our love. But as I started dating my wife and went to church with her at her PCA church, I got a hold of expositional preaching for the first time, and I could not stay away. So I was going to my Southern Baptist church with the rest of my family for the 830 service. And then I would drive 20 minutes to go meet my wife at Severna Park Pres Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Um, and I would sit under the preaching of Glenn Parkinson, and it was rich. And eventually I told my parents, I said, hey, cute blonde goes to this church. We we've been dating for several months. And, and my parents, interestingly, they are not very hardliners, you know, we're Lutherans, we're Baptists. They would describe themselves as we're Christians and we want you to go to a good church. And, and my mom has uh, participated in Bible study fellowship for years, which is a very ecumenical kind of study. So with their blessing, started going to a PCA church. And then I had the crisis. How reformed do I want to be <laughs> in the sense that do I want to go Presbyterian all the way? Because you know me. I'm not an engineer or a lawyer type. And the church where I was going, it was a bunch of engineers and uh, people that worked in Washington, D.C., very bookish, very, uh, you know. Intellectuals. Intellectuals. And I, it, one, I found it daunting. But then, two, I thought, maybe this will actually be stifling for evangelism. So, you know, I, I kind of landed in a, a, a very solid Baptist church thereafter uh, upon getting married. And funnily enough, the man, uh, we left his church to go to a PCA church. We went there for about three months. He's now my parents' pastor, which is pretty <laughs> cool. And he's a close family friend. And um, so that's when, you know, in terms of finding a denomination, for me, it wasn't, I need to find a denomination. I need to find a group of people that are digging deep and will dig deep alongside me. And that's what I found with expository preaching. And you know, the rest is history, went to Greenville Seminary and really began to see the value of the mutual accountability that exists in a Presbyterian church with a plurality of elders. And then beyond just the plurality of elders in the local church, that our local church is accountable to neighboring churches in the region and nationally with our General Assembly. So in some ways, the denomination appealed to me because of the ecclesiology and how it approaches ecclesiology. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting because for me, the the turning point for kind of becoming decidedly Presbyterian was the issue of expository preaching, which is kind of funny because there's obviously more churches other than um, just your normal Presbyterian church that practices expository preaching, right? I mean, even plenty of Baptists and, and others, even Anglicans even, you know, uh, will, will do that. So it, it is funny that it happened that way. I, I think about my, my own life, it was this interesting kind of crisis moment because, you know, I helped start a church plant. I'm 19. I'm the music guy. And it kind of organically opportunities for teaching open up. And 
uh, you know, I was scared to death of the idea of pastoring or teaching because I always thought growing up that'd be the scariest job in the world to have because what if somebody asks a question, you don't know the answer, you don't know where to point them to. So I was like, I'm going to stay far away from that. And as God would have it, you know, he just grew a hunger in, in my soul to, to preach, to teach, to help disciple people. And as that happened, there was this great kind of urgency that I really need to start knowing my Bible. I need to start reading my Bible. And uh, obviously that part of that desire, part of that concept is eventually what, what launched this, this podcast and website and all those things to help people along that pursuit of, of better Bible reading. But as I started to do that, at the same time, of all places, YouTube was what exposed me to expository preaching. I mean, it was such a kind of novelty almost. I was like, I didn't know there was such a thing as people that preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. This is so rich. This is so amazing. And I, w- and I started to, by process of elimination, realize most of these people are, are Baptists and Presbyterians. And you know, if I'm going to continue this pursuit of teaching and then, of course, down the road deciding, start going down the academic path, wanting to be some sort of professor uh, when all is said and done, I really need to know where I land. So I started investigating all that. And I had kind of decided, okay, I, I think I'm a Reformed Baptist. I think that's who I am. It was, and, my, uh, that was my lily pad. It was yeah. the same way. I needed to figure out where I landed. And I just sort of chose to not land, which... I was like, well, maybe one day there will be a church that, you know, they'll allow either infant baptism or adult baptism, because that's the only difference, right, you know, between Reformed Baptists <laughs> and Presbyterians. And uh, my wife and I, we still joke about that, how, how that even work. But, um, yeah, you go on. I, it's funny. I walked yeah. that, walked that yeah, road. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so when, when all that started to happen, you know, my wife and I were getting ready to move. We were getting ready to step out of a church we've been part of for a while and kind of just hit the reset button on, on everything really. And, uh, had it just, my dad unexpectedly passed away that, that caused our move to be delayed by like a couple months. And during that time came into contact with a PCA pastor who, you know, Jesse Pickett, who's also been on the podcast before I developed a relationship with him. And, you know, throughout the course of months, once we moved, he pointed us to a PCA church, Really, the rest is history, but it's, it is interesting that I was also not looking for a denomination. I was looking for who, who am I in terms of what I believe biblically, what do I think the Bible teaches, and where can I best land that is going to foster this growth, this pursuit of God's Word in, in the richest sense. And that's kind of you know what happened in my own life, and listeners who paid attention you know probably a couple episodes ago now um i made the point that we want to really make the most of bible reading and one of the ways that we do that is by being exposed to a pastor who thoroughly loves god's word who is really doing the work of promoting god's word to us each and every week who is when we come away at the end of the day we don't necessarily first and foremost say, I really want to be like that guy one day. But we do say, I want to have the kind of love, the kind of intimate understanding of God's word like he does. So, you know, that's why I have made the case on this on this podcast for a few times. We don't talk about 
church life all the time, but I hope that this episode is kind of a good connection point to see that your own personal study, your own personal devotion, and the way you approach the Bible really does interplay quite a bit with the kind of church context you're in. That's why it's so important for us to be part of a church that really makes the Bible the centerpiece, the focal point of gathering together to worship God and not just an afterthought or a footnote. And so I I do think that it's interesting to hear your story and uh, kind of how some of those same kind of uh, tipping points happened, especially in the case of getting exposed to expository preaching. Yeah. So another question that I think is is, uh, helpful here, and you actually... Um, kind of set the stage for this. You mentioned the Westminster Confession. We've talked about that before on on the show. Um, But speaking of confessions, you know, the idea of confessions is that's so rigid for churches to subscribe to a confession. That's so limiting. There's so much kind of framework and red tape and caution, all those kind of things. They seem overly complex, but how do you think that confessions actually help simplify the issue especially as it relates to denominations. Yeah, so actually a confession is not limiting. It limits what is permissible or not permissible for the views of that body for them to hold to. But really a confession is a rallying point. And I think that we should look at it that way in the sense that when I subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith and I subscribe uh, without uh, reservation, without exception, that that's a tremendous unifying thing for me to call or go onto a church's website. The other day, we had a woman here who uh, visited us for the month of February. She lives in Seattle, and she called back and said, hey, you know, I'm looking for a PCA church. Can you direct me to one? And how helpful it is to look up PCA churches, OPC churches in the Pacific Northwest and know that they subscribe to the same confession that I do. Um, with churches that have no confessions, even within their own denomination, we would say that there is a wide spectrum of churches that you may not want to send a person to, depending if they teach Calvinistic soteriology or Arminian soteriology. So I find that confessions, sure, they they limit, and yet they unify. And that's where I think, uh, as I've explained to people why I'm Presbyterian and why I am content, with having differences with people is that differences don't need to be divisive, if that makes sense. Um, One of my favorite professors in seminary, Ryan McGraw, uh, he was my systematics professor. I don't know if we're supposed to name names on here. You said Jesse Pickett. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, pay the royalties to them. Good. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that he just so helpfully, just one of those one liners you'll never forget We can be narrow in our convictions and yet broaden our affections. So there's nothing wrong with having a fence in your yard, so to speak, just so long as it is low enough for you to be able to reach over the fence and shake hands with your neighbor. That's what we desire. Uh, We want to very clearly outline what we believe. And yet, as a part of our own confession, we do acknowledge that the Catholic Church, lowercase Catholic Church, includes all those visible churches that profess the true religion. Uh, God's grace is much bigger than our denominations, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I like, I like that, that one-liner. That was good. See, you're going to use it now. Yeah, yeah there, there you go. Um, 
And I, I think you may have even already answered this in some ways. You know, I have conversations a lot. You mentioned first your parents, then you mentioned yourself there. Um, so to some people, it is even if they're willing to say, okay, I understand that some kind of objective standard to really identify one denomination from another could definitely be a creed or a confession or even a statement of faith. if We want to use that language. And some people can become okay with that. And yet at the same time, we'll have kind of mental hiccups with thinking, okay, is it actually okay for me to say I am a Methodist or I am a Presbyterian as opposed to I go to a Methodist church or I go to a Presbyterian church, right? It's a, it's a subtle difference, but, you know, it, and, and to me, I can understand the struggle because it doesn't take long to realize that some churches have certainly abused the kind of tribal mentality of denominations or even approached it from a consumeristic standpoint, such as why you should drink Coke other instead of Pepsi or RC Cola or something like that, right? It's this kind of tribalism. It's this identifying with the thing. It, how much of that is okay to do? Should we be okay with calling ourselves Presbyterians or Baptists? I mean, what is, how would you approach that for people who are really struggling with wrestling through it? Yeah, I think that there is a fear of labeling, because in so labeling ourselves or identifying ourselves by our denomination, I think that some people believe that to be a divisive act where it doesn't really need to be divisive. It, we can have differences. Um, there are differences that will mark us and yet we can still converse. And if we downplay the differences between our various denominations, we actually aren't moving the conversation forward. The way I kind of, you know, think of the Christian life, you know, justification um, is like, you know, Jesus slipping the ring on your finger and, and everything thereafter sanctification is you getting to know Christ more, get to know him more intimately, more deeply. The more you know of him, the more you love him. Right. And likewise with the Christian life, if we only ever talked about our wedding day, if we only talked about the essentials of religion, and again, what, what, what are the essentials of religion? That means something different to everybody. If all we ever talk about are the things that we agree about, not much growth is going to happen. And so I find that when we are comfortable with our differences, we're not acting divisive and we're not being different for the sake of being different, but for the sake of being biblical, then we can actually say, all right, let's search the scriptures and kind of put our heads together and, you know, reason with one another. So good question in the sense that we don't want to fall in the trap of the first Corinthians three. Some say I follow Cephas. Some say I follow Paul or Apollos. We follow Christ. So I think you should always say, well, I'm a Christian, but what do you mean by that? I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that, well, I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a reformed Christian, because I think that helps people understand what kind of Christian you are, because that too, people can mean a lot of different things by that. I mean, right now, I think it's the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. They're branding themselves as non-denominational. <laughs> Talk about a Trojan horse, right? So there's something helpful and right about us distinguishing who we are, what we believe. And I don't think that people should have a pang of conscience about that so much. But be more faithful to the Bible and Christ than you are to any group of men, certainly. 
Yeah. I always make the point my, myself, the reason that I'm comfortable with identif- identifying myself as a Presbyterian is number one, because I think it's the most biblically faithful um, in terms of everything that it encapsulates. Obviously we talked about earlier, well, sometimes that can mean a lot of different things. Are you of the liberal sort? Are you of the conservative sort? Where, where do you land and what do you mean by that? But I have found that ever since I have been, been comfortable, obviously, first and foremost, I'm a Christian, right? Um, yeah. But as I found myself being comfortable with uh, identifying myself as a Presbyterian, I've noticed, especially in the workplace, it's opened up a lot of conversations, both with non-Christians and Christians. I think of one guy that I interact with a lot, uh, comes over to our building quite often. Um, I'm in the manufacturing production world, and so he's an engineer. He comes over. We have a lot of conversations, and, and he's a Baptist. And he is, as a matter of fact, he grew up, his dad was a, was a pastor. And so he's a really good, upstanding Christian man. And uh, he knew I used to be part of a different church context. He asked what I was doing now. And I said, well, this is what I'm doing. I go to a, a Presbyterian church and I'm, I'm a Presbyterian. And it really opened up a lot of conversations of, first of all, can you, can you explain to me what exactly do you mean by that? What do Presbyterians believe? And then you know, we moved into conversations about baptism, about the Lord's Supper. And what I found most interesting was that he did not know that there was a difference in the way that a Presbyterian compared to a Baptist uh, approached the Lord's Supper in terms of what we believe about it. And we ended the conversation. I I didn't like convince him of my view, but we ended it with this mutual respect for one another because he understood where I was coming from. He understood how I got there biblically. And it was just this, and both of us being Christians, right? It was that same, uh, kind of illustration you made of both of us reaching over the fence and uh, giving ourselves a nice firm handshake and kind of edifying one another. Because even when I teach Sunday school, for instance, and even listeners have heard the covenant theology and dispensationalism interaction, the, the thing that we want to do, even if we disagree with somebody, even if we identify in some particular camp or denomination, is you still want to at least understand everybody else correctly you don't want to make caricatures you don't want to presuppose things we wouldn't want anybody to do that about us but i have found that when we are in our conscience comfortable with identifying as a presbyterian or whatever else it really does open up some great biblical in-depth conversations with people that wouldn't otherwise happen because you're over in your world i'm over in mine and let's just leave it at that right so um, i find it found it to be really helpful in my life yeah, and, and for me, you have to start the conversation somewhere. I mean, if, it's, if we're all kind of like one homogenous block of cheese, you stop talking because we figured each other out. You know, we're all saved by grace, you know, and, and, and certainly this is, I mean, this is one of the crown jewels of the Christian religion. Um, but it, it would just be like, you know, akin to talking to your wife about, how great was our wedding day? And for 30 years, all you ever talk about is your wedding day. Like, certainly your wedding day was what inaugurated this great relationship of which you're now a part. And since we've all kind of, you know, slipped on the ring of salvation, we should be growing and, and learning about 
others and why they believe what they believe and, and sharpening ourselves as iron sharpens iron, you know, by interacting with other people and their ideas. And so it, it is a lot of, I would say it's fun, not because, you know, we're not thumbing our you know, nose at people's like, well, I'm Presbyterian. Um, but it kickstarts conversation in a way that wouldn't, if you just sort of shied away from the distinctions. So distinctions don't need to divide and make us divisive. Um, those have been some of the most fun conversations, you know, sort of that breakthrough moment where somebody says, aha, like what you believe is not what I thought you believed. And I really enjoy that. Oh yeah. So last question here, Stephen is obviously, I think we've made the case that there's no perfect church. There's no perfect denomination for that matter. Um, so if that's the case, you're going to have flaws, you're going to have exceptions, you're going to have all those kind of things. But what do you think are the essential issues that should guide um, ourselves into deciding on a denomination? I'm especially thinking about listeners who maybe be having a, a life-shattering moment, perhaps, when I talked about, look, at the end of the day, you only have one life. And if you're not part of a church that is preaching the Bible that is feeding you, that is giving you a greater hunger for the Bible, then with all due respect, you need to go find another church that's doing that. So maybe listeners are at that point and they're saying, okay, so you how do I go about that? Crisis. <laughs> Look at what you have done. You and Orson Welles, right? War of the Worlds meets church uh, radio. Oh man. So yeah. help our, help my listeners get out of the pit. In other words, the pit that you've dug them. Yeah. All right. So the three marks of the church are, uh, as Calvin puts them, I believe in book four, can't remember the chapter of his institutes, that the three marks of the church are the right preaching of the gospel, uh, the right administration of the sacraments, and the right administration of church discipline. So if you go to a church that lacks any one of those three marks, it is not a true church, and you can't go there, because Jesus has given the church the keys of the kingdom and the power to exercise uh, ministerial and declarative oversight over his church, uh, Matthew 18. He's given the right administration of the sacraments to uh, the ordained leadership of the church. You look at Philip going and uh, you know bringing down Peter to baptize the Ethiopian eunuch, the Great Commission. Jesus gives them baptism right then and there. He institutes the Lord's Supper in John 13. So the sacraments are entrusted to the church. And then the preaching of the gospel. Uh, the preaching of the gospel, if it's just easy beliefism, if Jesus is more of an appendage to the life that you're living, um, you can't go there. Um, Jesus says that we need to go where um, the gospel is preached. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you have faith, um, you need to go where the word of God is preached. And how it's preached, I think, is where you get a little bit more fine with your distinctions. So one of the things that I would encourage is go to a church that dives into both testaments with zeal, not, you know, dipping their toes reluctantly in the Old Testament, because the New Testament is the Old Testament explained. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the New Testament is just can't stand on its own legs. I mean, you read the book of Revelation. Anywhere in the New Testament, it's appropriating Old Testament themes. And uh, the New Testament is the substance of which the Old Testament was a shadow. And 
We don't throw it out. Jesus talked about his relationship to the old covenant and the law. Don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've come to uphold it, the law and the prophets. So find a church that, first and foremost, preaches the gospel and the whole counsel of God, the imperatives of Scripture as well as the indicatives of Scripture, uh, a church that can talk about hell but talks about heaven, and really with the preaching, that the preacher's tone matches the text that he's expositing. So if a preacher tries to blunt the edges, say, of texts that have to do with hell, there's something to be aware of there. You know, what's the aversion? You know, Jesus talked about hell a great deal. And so uh, we need to go to a church that loves, as you said, a man who demonstrates that he loves the word of God and preaches it without qualification. Um, the sacraments, uh, have you talked about the sacraments on the show? Not a whole lot. Ooh, okay. Future podcast idea. Uh, I'm going to throw that out there. But yeah, spiritual presence in the Lord's Supper, a church that believes that we are communing with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper and communing with one another. It's not a bare memorial. Uh, Jesus is spiritually present uh, at the Lord's Supper. And, you know, with discipline. There will be churches that do a great job um, for all intents and purposes. From the outside, it looks like a very healthy church. And yet, if it's imploding, probably not a place where you're going to be disciplined when you need to be, encouraged and exhorted when you need to be. Um, and that's the most subjective of the three marks of the church and the most difficult because every church will fail in some way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, I think using Calvin's three marks as a guide, I would say that's where you ought to consider going. Yeah, just to kind of elaborate a little bit more on when you mentioned discipline i i think that it is an interesting thing where obviously modern culture hears discipline and thinks punishment right and it it can it certainly can when it has to do with sin and a reluctance to repent of sin while you're at the same time uh, promoting yourself as somebody that's fellowshipping with other believers but i do think um tied to that idea of discipline is also church government. So how discipline takes place, you're going to need to look at leadership structures of the church. Is the church made in this kind of CEO top-down format where the lead pastor has no accountability, right? You mentioned before, one of the reasons that we both land as Presbyterians is because the idea of a plurality of elders. Stephen at his church can't come up with all these great ideas and not give a care in the world who else thinks he's right because he's just going to run with it, right? There's accountability. And even in Presbyterian, Presbyterianism, there's accountability between churches. That's the beautiful picture of there's no lone ranger churches. And so I do think in that idea of discipline, it is this kind of in-house idea of how things are handled, but it's also looking at the way the church is going to nourish you as a member of the congregation is the leadership structure put together in place that's biblically faithful that, of course, uh, feeds into the fact that Jesus is cultivating us, growing us, nourishing us. I, I get sad when I hear people talk about their, their sorrow or just they're so fatigued when they think of the idea of their church or going to their church because... Mm -hmm. There's not this sense of, of nourishment for them. It shouldn't be that way. It could be a whole host of problems, but one of them might be 
because that church is not biblically structured in its leadership format to foster true discipleship, which of course is where that idea of word of the word discipline comes from is tied to that idea of discipleship. Which is a positive thing in and of itself, right? So I think that you're right. We, we sort of make it a frowny faced word, you know, discipline. We think, oh, you know, it's like a spanking when really, you know, the disciplines of grace um, were being discipled, uh, you know, taught by the Lord Jesus and a church that takes seriously that they're going to challenge and push and, you know, prod you in all the ways that you need. And, and that could be positive um, in, in a number of ways. And I think you're right to, you can generally tell pretty quickly, I find, if there's an imbalance of power in a church. If it's very located in one man, I call it like the John Wayne ministry, you know, like the Lone Ranger, <laughs> just one dude kind of doing everything. Um, versus that plurality, it's a lot healthier. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And so I would certainly, as a Presbyterian, recommend everyone to go to a Presbyterian church. I wouldn't be a member of one That's and a odd. pastor of one. would feel that way. <laughs> I know, it's so self-serving. But I mean, really, you know, you look at the word presbyteros, you look at elders in the scriptures, and when it describes overseers and, and presbyteros, uh, episkopos, presbyteros, they're, they're talking about the same person. They're talking about the same leader in the church. It's not sort of this hierarchical, you have episcopate and then you have, you know, uh, presbyteros presbyteros, you know, sort of uh, a la our Anglican friends. But yeah, that mutuality among the elders, I think communicates to, to the congregation stability, that there's not one person upon whom this church is going to, you know, rise or fall, but that they're, you know, so for example, I'm a fairly young guy. And the fact that we have some older elders on the session too, I think just communicates to the congregation that there's a diversity of perspectives and yet there is going to be a spirit of unity. And why? Because we're all faithful to the scriptures and that's why we were elected and why I was installed as pastor is because we just want to be a biblical church. And I would think that Presbyterian churches by and large do a very good job of communicating stability to the congregation and that this is a church that's going to lead you well discipline you well, and train you for godliness. Thank you so much, Stephen. Great uh, points there. Really helpful to us. Uh, before we close, do you have any just comments or even like recommended resources as far as reading or listening that you want to point our listeners to? Yeah. So one book that I found really helpful in studying for my ordination and one that, um, you know, if you were curious about Presbyterianism, this one by Sean Michael Lucas on being Presbyterian is great for dipping in your toes, also for going deep in parts. Um, For me, the section in this book that spoke most to me was the old school, new school Presbyterian split and how, again, kind of going back full circle to why do churches differ um, and why are there so many denominations? And sometimes it's this idea that effectiveness that you need to sort of throw orderliness out the window to give room for and to give space to effective evangelism. But, you know, as I read like 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let everything be done decently and in order, I'm finding more and more that orderliness is not an obstacle to effectiveness. Orderliness is a means to greater effectiveness. And when you look at, uh, again, just a plug for that book, old school, new school, Presbyterian splits. I mean, if you're a history nerd, you'll love this book. Um, 
a lot of those things come to the fore in our Presbyterian tradition. And so if you were to ask, I think, Kevin or myself, I don't want to speak for you, Kevin, I'm just going to pitch you as I can't. You're probably an old school Presbyterian when it comes to uh, needing to be consistent in our government for the protection of our sheep, for the maintenance of the gospel, but also holding forth the gospel so that sinners might be saved. I think that's old school Presbyterianism. And yeah, for sure. if you want to know more about the kind of Presbyterianism that Kevin and I subscribe to, uh, even within the PCA, that's an excellent book by Shawn Michael Lucas. Yeah. Matter of fact, that was the first one that I really read to kind of get my feet wet, so to speak, or I get my feet sprinkled. If you want to <laughs> give a little, <laughs> a little verbiage. Let's talk there. about emer- <laughs> Let's talk about mode. Let's go. <laughs> well, Stephen, uh, thank you so much for your, uh, your help for us. A great conversation. Um, listeners, if you uh, haven't heard anything from Stephen before, you can definitely go back to that previous episode. It was like episode number five or six, something somewhere way back then about the Old Testament. Really great conversation there, but also uh, you can hear Stephen's sermons and, and other things like that. If you go to uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can definitely go there in terms of worshiping with them. You can also find Stephen's sermons on Sermon Audio. And uh, you can find the links to that, which I will provide on the notes to this podcast episode. So again, Stephen, uh, blessings upon you in your uh, ministry. And uh, definitely thank you for coming on to the podcast uh, to help us solve all of our problems. <laughs> Every one of them. No, thank you for having me, brother. It's good to have you. Uh, it's good to have you closer by. I'm glad you're over to Ortega and do give Josh my best. Okay. Will do, brother. Have a great rest of your day. You too.